Thank you for joining me as we continue in our worship, celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, that is the entire weekend for us as we uh, rejoice in what our Savior has done. Uh, for our sermon today, for our study today, we're going to go uh, back to the life of Jonah. And then we're going to step into the life of Jesus. Uh, our study has been through Jonah's life, his experience, and his ministry. And when we come to the New Testament, we hear Jesus referencing Jonah and saying that the sign of Jonah is what his audience will receive from him. Uh, signs are those things that you're supposed to pay attention to. Uh, the sign at the, at the, on the road that says the bridge is out uh, is a sign that you want to pay attention to. Uh, the sign in the refrigerator that says dad's food, don't eat it, uh, is a sign you better pay attention to. Right, kids? Uh, so as we look at the sign that Jesus talks about, we want to try and figure out what this means for us and how it helps us understand what God has done for us. So our text is going to be Matthew 12, 38 through 42. The scripture says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Did you catch that phrase, something greater than whatever is here? Now, this is actually throughout the chapter in Matthew chapter 12. As Jesus is debating and facing challenges from the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, they've challenged his right to heal on the Sabbath. And so Jesus pushes back and says, something greater than the Sabbath. Now that was pretty in, a pretty intense accusation or challenge because the Sabbath represents the law of God. It is the fourth commandment in the 10. And it represents the one who received the law, Moses. And in each one of the greater thans throughout the chapter, Jesus is attacking the very foundations that his audience had built their lives on the foundations of David, the foundations of the temple, where God put his presence. And Jesus says something greater than the temple is here. Yes, of course it is. Jesus is the fullness of God. And that's an important thought as we look at this text, because there was something greater in the lives of the scribes and Pharisees than Jesus. And Jesus is challenging them and saying there's something greater here. So that's going to be a big theme as we go through this and consider the sign of Jesus, 
his death, burial, and resurrection, and what it means for us as we consider what we're building our lives on. The Pharisees and scribes had no desire to respond to Jesus. Their petition for a sign was a mockery, and Jesus knows this. In John 12, 37, the author says, though he had done many signs before him, they still did not believe in him, and they would not. Their hearts were hardened, and they were making a mockery out of him. And so, what is this sign? How do we understand it, and how should we respond to it? The point of Matthew 12 is not to be like the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, when Jesus says Nineveh is going to rise up and condemn this generation for not responding, and the Queen of, of the South is going to rise up and condemn this generation because they had something lesser than Jesus, and they responded, and we have something greater than Jonah and the Queen of the South and the Temple and Moses and the, the responsibility for us to respond to it by faith and repentance is really uh, weighty. So I think the lesson for today as we celebrate the life, the death, and the burial of Christ this weekend and then culminating today in the resurrection celebration of Christ is that Jesus is a sign of two things. And that the sign he refers to in Jonah references at least two things. Number one, that God is just. And number two, that God is merciful. So Jesus is a sign of God's justness and his mercy. And I don't want you to miss that last part. His mercy is on full display for us in Christ. So the first point is how does God how does Jonah function as a sign to Nineveh? There's actually controversy regarding what this sign means. There's a Catholic scholar who says that because Jesus uh, died and was buried and was literally dead, that that, in order for the sign of Jonah and Jesus to be similar, Jonah must have actually died. And so he goes to Jonah 2 and, and does some exegetical gymnastics to kind of make the point Jonah must have actually been dead, which I don't know how he prayed while dead, but uh, the text really doesn't support that Jonah was dead, and it kind of misses the point of the comparison between Jesus and Jonah. There's a Muslim scholar who actually argues that because Jonah wasn't dead, according to the text, Jesus must not have been dead. And both of these men miss the point of the comparison between the two signs. Jonah and Jesus have a comparison that is weighty and important. And the comparison centers around the three days. And I think Luke 11 kind of makes that point better. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. As Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. And I don't know if you noticed that, but the text, what Jesus just said in the Luke's account, is that Jonah was an active sign for the people of Nineveh. That means they didn't just receive his message about the need to repent, or in 40 days you're going to be overthrown. 
that they understood something about Jonah and that they responded to his message based on what they understood about his life, about his experience. And that's where that three days and three nights becomes critical. Because that's where the comparison, that's, if you look at the text, Jesus is very specific. As Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the grave for three days. There's the comparison, it's the time. Now, the time is important because of what starts the three days and three nights and what ends it. It's the bookends of the three days and the three nights that become important. Now, before we go on, I want to comment on the three days and three nights. Some scholars doubt the credibility of the scriptures because Jesus was not actually in the grave for three days and three nights. In fact, he went in on day one, mid-afternoon to late evening, or to, to early evening, and then he was resurrected Sunday morning, about day and a half later. And so some skeptics will say, see, the Bible isn't accurate because of that. This is where we fail to understand the importance of, of colloquialisms, the importance of understanding the language and the customs of the day. And this is very common in modern readers. We like to open the Bible and think we understand it, and when it says something, it means what we understand it to mean. And we make horrible mistakes in our exegesis, our study of the Bible, because we, we don't take the time to learn the colloquialisms of the day. And this is one of those cases. The Hebrew colloquialism could mean that at any time during these three days and nights, the person could return. It'd be like me saying, I'm going to be gone a day and a night, and I show up at home at five o'clock. That's totally within the meaning of a day and a night. Now, we don't talk this way, but this is how they talked. And so it's kind of foolish to use that as a, try and, as a way to try and diminish the authenticity and the accuracy of the scriptures. So the point of the story or the comparison is in the time frame. That's where the text, where Jesus zeroes in on. But how is it a testimony of the justness and mercy of God? Well, that's the bookends. What put Jonah in the fish and what got him out of the fish? What put Jesus in the grave and what brought him out of the grave? And so in that context, let's ask the next question. How is Jonah a sign of God's justice, justness and mercy? How is Jonah a sign of God's justness and mercy? Let's look at those bookends. What put Jonah in the fish? Well, we know that God came to Jonah and said, I want you to go and to prophesy against Nineveh, that great city, because their evil has come before me. And so Nineveh's evil is what put Jonah on a mission from God. But it was Jonah's evil that put him in the fish because he ran from God. 
he would not obey the Lord. And he runs to a foreign city to try and hide from God. And the next thing, this place we find Jonah, our reluctant prophet, is hiding in the bottom of a boat, fast asleep, and a chaotic storm comes, and the ship itself is threatening to break apart. And the sailors cast lots, and the captain speaks to Jonah as though he is the voice of God. Maybe God will be, maybe your God will be merciful to you. And so Jonah says, well, I, I'm the problem. I'm running from God. And they said, well, what do we do? And he says, well, throw me overboard. If you get rid of me, you're going to be fine. And so there's this sacrificing Jonah for the sake of the sailors imagery that's there. But what got Jonah in the sea and then the fish that God appointed was his sin. And the testimony in that moment is that God is being just. God is dealing with Jonah and chastening this prophet for his sin. God is addressing Jonah's rebellion and subsequent near, or God addressing Jonah's rebellion and subsequent near-death experience demonstrate that he is just in punishing sinners. And this is probably exactly what the Ninevites knew. Jewish historians concluded that the Ninevites reasoned that if God treats his beloved prophets so severely, would they disobey him? What could they expect when the city was in the gall of bitterness against God and in the bonds of iniquity and sin? And so this, what this brings up is that Nineveh knew more about Jonah than the book of Jonah reveals they knew. For Jonah to be an active sign to Nineveh, they must have known more. And I don't know how that might have happened. I can guess. Maybe there were people on the beach when Jonah was coughed up by the fish. Or maybe when Jonah was traveling to Nineveh, which you don't typically travel alone in, this, in his day and age, and there's only two main highways, one going up by the coast and one over uh, on the far right-hand side of Israel up, up the land. You don't travel alone, so maybe he was with a caravan and he was telling his story. Or maybe when he got to Nineveh, uh, people engaged with him because of skin discoloration or because uh, they were wondering more about him. And I'm sure he had to eat some meals during this time and maybe sitting around the campfire, the story that he told of his rebellion and God's mercy. The point is, Jesus says Jonah was an active lesson. And so probably Jonah's sin and God's response to it had affected the way the Ninevites perceived God. In the same way that the sailors, once the storm ceased, once they threw Jonah overboard and the storm ceased, the sailors perked up. And when they got to land, the text says they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Well, Nineveh learned, the Ninevites learned what God had done to Jonah and took Jonah's warning very seriously. But that leads us to the next bookend on that story, on that three-day time frame. And that is that God's response to Jonah's repentance and faith demonstrate his mercy. God's response demonstrates his mercy. Jonah cries out to the Lord. He's in the fish. 
He's crying out to the Lord. His prayer, he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, and you heard my voice. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And here's the point. Not only had the Ninevites heard of God's chastening of Jonah and dealing with him for his sin, but the people of Nineveh had heard of Jonah's ordeal and remarkable deliverance as a result, took his message in all seriousness, hoping for a similar deliverance and turning from their wickedness in repentance before God. And this is why the king, when he calls on the national fast, says, perhaps God will show us mercy. Perhaps how? Well, perhaps like God did for Job. And so if you look at the sign that Jonah was to Nineveh, we get some insight into how Jesus is a sign to his generation and how the resurrection that we celebrate in this Easter weekend of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we get a sense of what this sign means to us and how we should respond to it. Because if Jonah is a sign of God's justness and mercy, Jesus is even more better. I don't think that's an actual word, but, it, but, but he is. He's a sign to us of God being just and of God being merciful. Now, there's a difference between Jesus and Jonah. Jesus was dealt with not for his own sin, but we'll get to that. What we learn from the cross of Christ and what we learn from his death, burial, and resurrection is that sin always demands judgment. Sin always demands judgment. You know the famous verse in Romans, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Let's focus on that, the wages of sin and death. This was actually one of Paul's main arguments in Romans chapters 1 through 3. His audience didn't believe that they needed to repent and turn in faith to Christ. They believed that since their lives were built on Abraham and Moses and the traditions and the sacrifices and all that they were as a religious people, that they didn't need Jesus, that their obedience to God is what God accepted on their behalf. And Paul masterfully dismantles that line of thinking and reminds them that death, the judgment of God, has been going on since the foundation of the world on all mankind because all have sinned, that there is none righteous. And this is what he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. And that wage, the penalty for that sin is the judgment of God. And what we learned 
what we learn from the front end, the bookends of, of the three days in Jonah's life is true in Christ's. Sin demands judgment. And so for Jesus to be in the grave, it is because sin demands judgment. There's a consistency with that three-day period with the front and the back end. Now here's where it's different. The scripture tells us over and over and over that Jesus does not die for his own sin. In fact, it says that he knew no sin, that he was a lamb, innocent, without sin. The writer of Hebrews says that he was tempted in all ways like we are, but without sin. It talks about Jesus being a high priest, but unlike the high priests in the Old Testament who built around this sacrificial system of atoning for sins, Jesus didn't have to sacrifice for his own sin that Jesus was actually the sacrifice for our sin. And this is why Paul in this text says this, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. See, the, the point Paul makes is that God is putting Jesus forward to satisfy God's wrath through Christ's sacrifice. And this is very consistent with what John says in 1 John chapter 1 and 2, that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and that he is the propitiation for our sins. Continue reading in Romans 3 here. God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. The death of Christ is a sign. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And so Paul says that Christ's death and burial is a sign that every sin deserves judgment from God. And so don't miss the, the front end of the sign of Jonah. Jonah wound up in the fish because of sin. Jesus wound up in the grave because of sin. The difference, Jonah his own sin, Jesus our sin as he became the satisfying sacrifice to take our place. This is what Paul says in Romans 5, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. There's the other bookend. There's the, the, the end mark. If Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, there was a reason that he got in there, and there was a reason he got out. And that's the emphasis of, of this sign. 
It's that God is showing mercy. He is just. Don't miss that. But he is merciful. And he has provided Christ so that we can be rescued from his judgment. This is what he says, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For as by a man, speaking of Adam, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Death is a reference to judgment. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that through one man, death entered the world and death spread to all men. Death is the judgment for sin, and not just physical death, but the eternal separation of man from God and the eternal outpouring of the wrath of God. For as death by death, uh, by man came death, by man also has come the resurrection of the dead. And this is, these are the bookends. Sin deserves punishment. And Christ took that punishment for us upon himself. But he couldn't stay there. Because the sign has an end. And the end is when for Jonah, that fish, in God's mercy, got that fish, spewed Jonah out. Well, for Jesus, it was when the time was finished that Jesus rose from the dead testifying to all of us that the life God promised and the life that God has provided is for us. It is secured because of Christ. The resurrection of Christ is a sign that God has mercifully provided new life in him. And so I don't want you to miss the sign. What is the sign of Jonah that Jesus' generation received? What is that active, present sign that sin deserves judgment? It demands judgment. God can by no means clear the guilty. There has to be a way for God to be just in dealing with our sins. And yet, He's merciful. And this, I, I love this passage in Exodus 33 when Moses says, Father, show me your glory. And God says, I'll, I'll pass my glory before you. And he declares the glory of the Lord. And what does he declare? He declares that he's just. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. But he says, I hold mercy for thousands. I will pardon iniquity and sin. And so, folks, the, the sign of Jonah, the sign that we're meant to see in this weekend celebration is that death always demands, I mean, sin always demands death. It always demands judgment. But that God is merciful, and today we celebrate the mercy of God in atoning for our sins, sacrificing his son in our place so that we could receive new life in Christ. It's the bookend of the sign. It's the end of the story. The resurrection of, a, of Christ is a sign that God has mercifully provided new life in him. So some applications. Number one. 
What keeps you from receiving the mercy of God in Jesus? I mean, this is a great story. This is a powerful lesson. The story of Jonah is about the grace of God. And the story of Jesus, who is greater than Jonah, is about the mercy of God, is about his divine intervention into our lives to rescue us from our sin as we read in our confession. What keeps you from receiving that? What are you looking to? Are you trying to earn that that salvation, earn that acceptance by God? My friends, God has put forward his son to pay for your sins so that you could receive the new life of Christ and all the mercy and the goodness that God has available for you. So if you're a guest today, just stop and say, what's keeping me from this? Secondly, do you believe that God is both just and merciful? Do you believe that God is both just and merciful? This is a great error in the church today and a great error in understanding in the world today. And ultimately, it's a distortion of who who God is. Because some would say God is merciful and he forgives my sin, but at no cost. And the scripture would say it costs God the Father, his Son. There had to be the outpouring of wrath on sin. God can't be just and just forgive and pardon sin. And then some would say, and these tend to be religious people like me, some would say God is just and we would withhold mercy on others. We would withhold mercy on ourselves. We would withhold mercy on evildoers because God is just. My friends, the sign of Jonah is that God is just and he is merciful. And we hold those together. They're not in opposition. God justifies the ungodly because he condemned the godly. God justifies sinners because he condemned a righteous man. And it's the man we celebrate today. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But I would challenge you to to examine how you think about God. Because we typically have a distortion on either one of these spectrums. And yet God is both. Thirdly, I would ask, what is greater than Jesus? What in your life is greater than Jesus? Now, typically for religious people, it's our good works. Typically for religious people, it's what we do for God or what we do for others. That becomes greater than Jesus. Sometimes it's what we know as religious people. And being good, reformed Presbyterians, we know a lot. We know more theology probably than most. But these things can become uh, 
pro prohibitions, uh, prohibitors to us actually enjoying the mercy of God because they take the place of Christ in our life. We're just like the Pharisees. And we say, well, well Moses is greater, or my, my theology is greater, or Calvin is greater, or my theology is greater, or my traditions are greater. Something greater than all of that is present, and that's the resurrected Christ. For skeptics, the greater is almost always their reason. They can't figure Jesus out, and they can't allow for the miraculous in life. And so the greater is themselves. And as very intellectual people here in East Cobb in this area, we, we tend towards this as well. We tend to lean heavily on our reason. For the gospel is accepted by faith. So I would challenge you, think about that. What in your life is greater than Jesus? How are you, and this is one of your study questions, how are you like the Pharisees in this? And then finally, just an encouragement. As we celebrate the resurrected Christ, Friday we celebrated the crucified Christ, the sacrifice of God on our behalf. Today we celebrate the end of that bookend, that the, the other bookend of that story. We celebrate the risen Christ, a testimony to the grace of God, a testimony to God's mercy, and a testimony to God's provision. Let your celebration resound. Christ is risen. God is merciful, and he has provided for us. Father, we worship you. We thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for the sign of Jonah. We thank you for Jesus, and that what put him in the grave was my sin. It was our sin. And what rose him from the grave, what raised him from the grave, was not only his power, but his mercy to provide new life for us. Father, we rejoice in that. We worship you. And we ask for the fullness of your spirit so that we can live that new life in Christ. As your people in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.